How's everybody? Good? Good. Glad you guys are here. So before I forget, um, we are sponsoring a really, really great nonprofit this month. We showed the video, um, and our Joel, who comes to church here, who started Endure Athletics. That is a really, really important ministry. I think their goal is 50 grand, which uh, of a church of about 5,000, that's not, that's not that big of a deal if we all gave $10. So I'm gonna encourage you um, in the spirit of generosity and because it's an amazing nonprofit, go back there to their booth after service, even if you can just give 10, 20, $30, whatever God kind of lays on your heart, uh, there's no reason why we can't hit that goal, okay? So go back there, um, help them. They do fantastic things for homeless children in uh, Murfreesboro, so please go back there and bless them. Yeah, yeah, no, you can clap for them, it's good. Really important ministry. Okay, and we are finishing up Second uh, Thessalonians today. And if you haven't been with us, this is a letter written from a guy named Paul to a church in northeastern Greece. It's his second letter written to this church. And um, last week, talked about something interesting. We were in chapter two, we finished up chapter two. And Paul basically tells us that we have a choice, right? All of us, all of us in this life have a choice. We have a choice to either submit to the truth, which is God in his word, right? Submit to that truth and live in that truth, or it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter two, and Paul also says this in Romans chapter one, that we can choose to not only live in our own reality or our lies, but that if we do that long enough, God will give us over to those lies. Because we have a desire to believe a lie, 2 Thessalonians chapter two says God gives us over to a strong delusion, okay? But the point last week was that we have a choice. We don't have to live in lies, right? We choose to either live in truth or live in lies. This week, and man, we have to trudge through some mud to get there, um, but we're gonna talk about this idea of is our faith intentional, which means God has not created you to live accidentally, right? That we are to live with purpose, that we are to live um, um, intentionally, to, to, to do things uh, the way God wants us to do us, to live proactively, and so we're gonna talk about that a little bit today. Like I said, we're going to trudge through some mud to get there first. Um, this is a good time to remind you I did not write this book. I didn't have anything to do with it. Um, all I do is I read it and, and then I commentate on it, right, and just kind of explain it a little bit. But today is one of those chapters where it says things that people just don't like and things that we kind of neglect and things that we don't do the way we should. And whenever I teach lessons like this, I get really fun emails about it. And, and again, I remind people like, I didn't write the book. And um, if you wanna argue with someone, like, you know, you can take it up with the man upstairs. That's not me. So it's just one of those times when we read some very uncomfortable things, we'll talk about them, studied it a lot to make sure that I'm communicating it the way I should. And, um, and there it is. So that's it, that's my preface. So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything I'm gonna talk about is in there. Don't read ahead, that'll ruin the fun. And so everything will be on the screens. And if you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, everything will be on that. If you have a Bible, we're in the New Testament in 2 Thessalonians. We're gonna do all of chapter three, which we'll get through it pretty quick because it's pretty short. So um, we'll work through it and it'll be, be a good time. And then you guys can go enjoy the Wonderful Tennessee December weather, right? How can it be 72 one night and then 26 the next morning? How is that even possible? How does that even work, right? It makes no sense. Anyways, so uh, I'm gonna pray and we will jump into this 
and we'll see what happens. We'll do um, our Advent services next week. We'll do, I'm gonna do a service on communion the week after that, which I think will be really fun. And then we'll get into 1 Corinthians and, and that'll be good, all right? Okay. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Lord, I love this church so much, God. Um, Father, I pray as we get into your word today, God, that, that it blesses us, Lord, that it sharpens us, instructs us, challenges us, God. Lord, we pray that our study of your word today, that it honors you and that it's a blessing to your kingdom, Lord. So we pray for our church. We don't just pray for our church, Lord, though we pray for every church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and all the churches in those cities, God. We pray for our wonderful friends at Endure Athletics, God, that they be blessed not just financially, Lord, but in their mission and their vision that they can help as many kids in this county as possible. Um, Lord, we just love you. We thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to do what we're about to do, God. Keep your hand on me as I teach, Lord. I pray that everything that comes out of my mouth honors you, God, and reflects your heart. We pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. First part's, first part's like butter. It's easy, guys. Here we go. In addition... Brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may be spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command May the Lord direct your, heart, direct your heart to God's love and Christ's endurance. That's really important. I'll get to that here in a second. So Paul moves on from talking about eschatology. That's a very fancy word for teaching on the end times, right? When Jesus comes back. Paul is moving away from this conversation of eschatology. And now at the end of this, he's just gonna teach very, very practical ways that we are to live and honor Jesus. The first one he starts with is prayer, right? So Paul wrote about eh, 70% of the New Testament, very, very influential believer, and he lets it be known that we never graduate over, we never graduate past needing prayer and praying for others. So he says, pray for me, right? I need your prayer because prayer is essential because when we pray, we are not only agreeing with Jesus, we are having a divine appointment with God. I think we often forget how big of a deal prayer is, right? We are talking and he is listening, the creator of the universe. This is a huge opportunity that we have, right? That we can talk and commune with God. We never mature past that. I don't care how deep of a theologian you become or how long you've been a Christian, you need prayer, you need to pray for others, we need prayer. That's how he starts off. Not only do we need prayer, we need to pray about specific things. He says, pray that the gospel spreads, pray that people honor the gospel, that means live the gospel out, right? He also says, pray that, that I'm protected from evil people. So he prays for, for very specific things. I don't know if anyone else in this room does this besides me. I have lots of combo, like casual conversations with God, not because I'm super holy, but because I, I, I'm very prone to do stupid things, right? So I talk to God a lot, and I'm like, God, I really love you, thank you for everything, and God, I don't really like humanity today, forgive me and help me, God. And we just talk a lot, right? Because I need it. Now that's good. I hope you have casual conversations with God. That's a good thing. We also need to have intentional, specific prayer time with God. 
We need to pray for specific people, pray for specific things. The Bible says, ask for wisdom and you'll get it. So you need to specifically ask for wisdom. We need to ask for guidance. We need to pray for protection, all those things. We need to get specific because the Bible says you have not because you ask not. So let's ask for things, right? Let's talk to him, let's be specific. And we can have those casual conversations as well. So one of the things Paul said to pray for me about is he said, pray that God protects me from evil people. I don't know if you guys know this, but there are evil people out there. Paul was referring to people who were, who were actually persecuting Christians. So Paul was referring to, there are people that want to hurt me, who, kill, who want to kill me, right? He eventually was killed for his faith. But he says, pray for my protection. Now listen, in the United States, we don't really have much of a threat right now of physical persecution. We don't, we don't really have to face that yet in the United States. But <laughs> there is no shortage of rude people around us or selfish people or, or genuinely evil people, right? Evil things do happen in the world. But listen, just because humanity can be unfaithful and evil does not mean that God is unfaithful or evil. God is good. And we cannot judge a perfect God by an imperfect people. We are imperfect, right? So we are to pray to God because God is good, he is faithful, he will protect us from the devil. And so though we will suffer hardships, we may even suffer martyrdom. See, God never promises us physical protection. That's not in the Bible, right? There are times when he offered physical protection to certain situations, but we are not, the Bible even says you're not promised tomorrow. You are not promised longevity. You are not promised physical protection in this world because God knows that the physical body is a temporary thing. He's less concerned about that. What we are promised in the Bible is an internal protection. Our souls are protected, our peace, our security, right? Our stability, those things are protected by God, right? The state of our soul, that's what God promises us. But we only receive this kind of stability, like we said last week, if we choose this stability. Verse four is kind of a little like a, a little passive aggressive parent comment. We've all made this. He says, we have confidence that you're doing and will continue to do everything we've told you, right? Just like when you tell your kids like, I know, I know that you're studying for your exams next week. I know you're doing that. And they're like, uh, yeah, dad, I am, right? I mean, you are now, right? And so that was kind of Paul's thing, right? I know you're doing what you're supposed to do because you know the only way we can live in stability is we must live in a relationship with Jesus every day. That's because, listen, our faith, Christianity, if you're a Christian in here, if you're not, it should be like this. Christianity is an engaged, interactive relationship. It's not just religious things we go through. It's not just walking into a building, making sure you write a check occasionally to the church, making sure you, you know, that's not what it is. It is a relationship, it's interactive. And we are to be engaged with a, with a savior, a Lord, a God that is interactive with us. He's not distant, right? God's not hanging out like, you know, a, on a throne somewhere in deep space, just kind of, I don't know, playing Nintendo Switch and not paying attention to us. He has a connection to us, right? And he wants to be engaged in our life. And Jesus will help us, but we have to obey him. We have to have a relationship with him. And listen, God knows it's not always easy to obey him. So God even helps us with our obedience. He's there for us, but we have to choose to be in a relationship with him. We have to choose to be engaged. 
And if we are engaged, look at this, we live in God's love and we live in Christ's endurance. This is good, let me show you this. So Paul wanted the Thessalonians to have a deep relationship with God so they could experience what it's like to live in the love of God. And when we live in the love of God, have a relationship with God, it says that we have Christ's endurance to make it through hard times. What does that mean? That means if anyone knows what it's like to go through hard times, it's Jesus. As Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood because he was so stressed, right, about what was coming on. He's praying, sweating blood, saying, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass. It was not God's will. So Jesus submitted to being unlawfully arrested, beaten, spat upon, mocked and abused, talked bad about, nailed to a hunk of wood where he asphyxiated, suffocated to death, and bled out all over the ground. That's what he knew was going to happen, but he endured. And what Paul is saying is this, listen, that if you have a relationship with God, you miraculously get the kind of endurance that Jesus had. Corey, I can't make it. You're right, you can't without Jesus, but with Jesus, you can make it through anything. You have Christ's endurance, Paul says, right? But that starts with the love of the truth. It starts with prayer. It starts with obedience. That's where it begins. And we can live in God's love and we can endure because of Christ's endurance. That's pretty good, right? Okay, this next part's gonna, it's gonna suck. I'm just gonna tell you, all right? Here we go. Okay, good. Sorry, sorry for that language, but anyway, it's just true. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled, working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support but we did it to make ourselves an example so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. <laughs> Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. Okay. So Paul gives his first, I wanna say controversial. It's not controversial, but it is, it is tough for us. Paul gives his first command to stay away from people who claim to be Christians, but they do not follow the words of the Bible. They are lazy when it comes to their faith. Paul says, stay away from them. This is called church discipline, and we are extremely uncomfortable talking about it. Church discipline is an exercise in addressing someone's sin, and if they knowingly and refuse, right, to do the right thing, if they're knowingly doing the wrong thing, the Bible says multiple times, mind you, to turn your back on them in the hopes, listen, he's gonna say it twice, in the hopes to produce shame that would lead to repentance. 
Let me tell you a piece of bad theology that we say a lot in Christianity. We say, man, we gotta pray against shame. We need to pray against shame. Oftentimes, most of the times, shame is a product of sin. It's similar to pain, right? Pain, I know no one likes pain, right? Unless you're just a weirdo, but no one likes pain. Your body, though, has pain. God created your body in such a way to feel pain because pain is an indicator that something is wrong. So if you put your hand on a hot stove, it hurts because your body is saying your skin doesn't like this, right? It is damaging your body, so you take your hand off. Shame is the spiritual form of pain. It is your soul saying, I do not like the sin that is in you right now. It feels bad. So maybe instead of praying for shame, maybe we should pray against sin and shame will naturally take care of itself. Twice in this chapter, Paul actually says that there are times we are to bring on shame in the hopes that people will identify their sin and repent for it. So what church discipline is intended to do, right? You see how uncomfortable this is, is that when we address people and we say, you're sinning, and they say, only God can judge me, right? We twist the heck out of that scripture, and that's actually not biblical at all. But anyways, only God can judge me, right? Because I heard it in the 90s from some rap artist. And so what we do <laughs> is in that moment, that will either cause them to be humble and repent, or it will cause them to be prideful and say, who are you to call me out, right? It will expose one way or the other. The, the offense though, not just in a spiritual sense, but in a literal sense of working and earning money, the offense was laziness. <laughs> Look at this. Many people were not only lazy, but they expected others to provide for their needs even though they were completely capable of supporting themselves. It's like in the month of September when 4.4 million people quit their jobs in the United States and then turned around and said, why aren't you guys paying for my health care?" You guys know the government is not your provider and protector, right? You guys, I, I think, we, wait, hold on, we say we know that, but we keep thinking that everyone owes us something and they don't. The Bible backs this up. The problem was a deliberate negligence of your own responsibilities. And here's the thing, laziness and entitlement are in no way condoned in the Bible. Nowhere is laziness and entitlement condoned in the word of God. If you are capable of supporting yourself, Paul says, you need to support yourself. Now, you don't have to, I mean, you don't have to look around much to see this as an epidemic in American culture right now. And which is ironic, because in a nation that claims to be the last Christian nation on earth, which you know I bark about that all the time, not only does the Bible say that we are to not be lazy or entitled, three of the 10 commandments have to do with this, right? The seventh commandment says you're not supposed to take from other people what doesn't belong to you. Anyways, we're not supposed to steal things, right? The other thing is the ninth and 10th commandment tell us that we're not to be envious or jealous of what other people have, whether it be who they're with or what they own. It's none of your business. And that's the ninth and 10th commandment. If you hold these biblical commands up to American culture right now, we fail because we are greedy, we are corrupt, we are envious, we are apathy, we are, we are lazy, we are entitled. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who claim to be believers of Jesus who fall into this, right? It is up to someone else to pay my bills and take care of me. And even though you're 100% physically and mentally capable, of doing yourself. And if you haven't noticed right now, 
everyone is hiring, everybody. Not just hiring. My first teaching job, I made $30,000 a year out of college. You can go work at Chick-fil-A and make $38,000 a year. And I'm like, what the heck, right? It is crazy right now. Anyways, I won't go there. I, I went too far last night. I, got, I was too honest last night, and several people were like, eh, and I'm like, okay, all right. Because here's the thing. <laughs> they were nice about it. Here's the thing. The Bible sets a principle for Christians called responsible independence. This is very, very important. Listen to this. The capable Christians are to be generous not be dependent on the generosity of others. This is very, very important. Because we should know better, because we have the word of God and we should have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we are told to be responsible and generous. We are to be the beacons of light. It is impossible, as Jesus called his church, the salt and the light, it is impossible to be the salt and the light if we are lazy, apathetic, and entitled. It is absolutely impossible. That's why it is not condoned in the word of God. And so we come up with maybe one of the most controversial scriptures and one that so many people blatantly ignore. I'm talking about Christians. We ignore this. The Bible says, if anyone isn't willing, it doesn't say isn't capable. It says if they do not want to work, they don't eat. It is that simple. You can look it up in the Greek. You can check all your concordances. You can do it, and it says exactly what it says. But we often neglect this principle. And listen, we enable people to live in a manner that the Bible deems unacceptable. We do that. Can I give you a really good example? Right, I will tell a couple of stories today. I won't tell all the ones I told last night, but I wanna tell this one, because it's important. Back before they built the bridge at the corner of Memorial and Broad, I used to have to come down, I would stop that way because I live on the north side of town, and I would come this way, right, to work every single day. And once upon a time, there was always these women standing at the corner holding up signs, right? Hungry, need food, you know, can, anything will help, God bless, you know, on a piece of cardboard, right? I'm not making fun of these women. But what I would see is I would see all of these people throw money at these, at these women all the time. There'd be men sometimes too, but it was mostly these women out there. They'd throw money at them. And their hearts are probably in the right place when they do that. The problem was, is most of these women and their boyfriends or husbands would filter through this church, right? They would filter through this church because we do a lot with the homeless. We're a very generous church. They'd filter through. And you would come to find out that most of these women holding up signs were either, they would either get beat up by their boyfriends or husbands if they didn't collect enough money that day, they would get prostituted out by their boyfriends and husbands on those corners, or they were addicted to meth or crack or coke or something like that. So most of the money people were giving to them was either going to domestic abuse, it was either going to prostitution, or it was going to drug addiction. But the thing is, is we don't care because it makes us feel good when we do that that we are blatantly rejecting the scripture and we are enabling people to live sometimes in dangerous situations. So I wrote an article for the newspaper that, that garnered much hate mail that says, if you truly love these people, do not give them cash. Point them to Journey Home or Greenhouse or the Domestic Abuse Center that's down on Northfield or whatever you wanna do, right? Help them out in these different organizations. Actually dig into them. Don't just throw money at this because it's not good. It is not good for them. And it keeps them in a position that they don't want to be in, that God doesn't want them to be in. But listen, this is talking about this verse, if they're not willing to work, this is talking about people who profess to be believers, but are lazy. 
And the reason why Paul wrote this is lazy Christians do not contribute to a good reputation of God or the church. It's not the way we're supposed to be. God has not designed us to be apathetic and lazy and entitled. Not just that, you guys know this, because people were not working, not just jobs, but serving in the church or getting involved in the communities, because they had all this extra time on their hands, they had time to meddle in other people's affairs. You guys know these kind of people, right? People who aren't busy, as Paul said, but they're just busy bodies, getting into causing drama, causing all this stuff going, because they got nothing to do. And it, it goes back to the old saying, those who row the boat rarely have time to rock it because they're working, they're actually going somewhere, right? So haven't you guys known these kind of people that got way too much time on their hand? Most of the time when people come up to me and they say they're struggling with a certain kind of sin, it's because they're up too late, they're not getting enough rest, they're not doing anything during the day, they just have idle hands. And idle hands, right? Devil's playground, right? Lots of bad stuff happens when people are idle. So what do we do? How do we not become jaded? How do we not become um, um, cold-hearted when it comes to benevolence. How, what do we do? Because we know that at the heart of God is benevolence. Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 25, I'm gonna separate you, the sheeps and the goat, right? Or the sheep and the goat. And, and the ones that follow me, it's because they have fed me when I was hungry. They have clothed me when I was naked. They visited me in prison. So that is the heart of God. So we have that on one hand, but on the other hand, that we, we know that not only are Christians called to a higher standard of living, but we are empowered by the Spirit of God to live at that standard. So we have these two things. So what do we do? The first thing is the gospel has to be in the mix. It is not enough to just feed and clothe and visit. We have to share the gospel because even more than making sure people's bellies are full, I wanna make sure that their souls are saved. Not only that, we have to use wisdom wisdom. So when the government was writing, you know, $1,200 checks to everyone, man, you can't imagine how much drugs were bought with that money. You cannot imagine how many motels and hotels in this town were rented out, 15, 20 people doing benders for 15, 16 days. We know that for a fact, because not everyone just needs a wad of cash thrown at them. Maybe they need to sit down with someone and work through a program and work through a process. And so that's using wisdom. Oh, cold-hearted. I'm not cold-hearted. I don't want them to die from an overdose. It's wisdom that we have to make disciples. And here's the other catch. Guys, there's probably been thousands of people over the years that have come into this church and completely just bold-faced lied to us about what they need money from. And we may even know it sometimes. And we still help because we wanna err on the side of grace. It is this weird, uncomfortable tension that we are to be responsible, but also be gracious and also love. It is hard and God knows it's hard and Paul knows it's hard. And I wanna get this scripture tattooed backwards on my chest so every day when I'm brushing my teeth, I can read it, right, and let it soak in because it is easy to grow weary in doing the right thing, isn't it? We're just gonna be honest this morning, right? I'm not the only dirt bag in the room that struggles with this stuff, come on. Corey's a terrible person. Look at that guy. It's hard, man. Paul knew it was hard. God knows it's hard. 
It's not easy to love people without enabling. It's not easy to love people without getting jaded because people have attitudes and they're entitled and sometimes they can be lazy. That's why we pray for God to give us love. That's why we pray for God to give us wisdom, right? Because it's hard. Okay, last part. We made it. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take note of that person, don't associate with them so that he may be ashamed. Yet don't consider him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand, which is an authenticating mark in every letter. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with all of you. So, Again, Paul goes back to this church discipline thing. He says, if there are people who are knowingly disobeying the scripture, he says, not only take note of them, don't associate with them. That's very difficult. It seems to me that Paul's heart behind that is that Paul really cares about the reputation of God and the reputation of the church. How many people do you know say they stop going to church because the church is full of hypocrites? They're not always wrong, are they? So we need to make sure that we're not hypocrites and we need to make sure that we don't allow behavior that is hypocritical, right? We're not always able to stop it all, but we need to do our best. That's what Paul was concerned about. Now, here's the balancing thing. God, it's very tough, this balance, but this is what Paul is doing. Turn your back on people who knowingly disobey the scripture, but do it like they're a family member. Do it like they're a brother or a sister. And what he means is, we have to call out sin, not only with honesty, but with love. And we need to make sure that people have a road back. We need to make sure that people can come back into the church without feeling embarrassed or, or, or something like that, right? That backsliders, people who have slidden away from God, can come back, not only to a relationship with God, but a relationship with the church as well. Now, the key to this is humility. Uh, is the older I get, I'm learning the key to everything is humility. So when people rebel against the scripture and we call that out, right, the hope is, is that they will humble themselves and say, you're right, I was wrong, I was wrong. Forgive me, brother, if I've hurt you, forgive me, God, right, because I've disobeyed you. Humility, repentance, that's what we hope. The best way to get that kind of response is not to get on Facebook and tell everyone about this awful thing that someone did. The best way to get a humble response is to approach them with humility as well. You wanna know why? Because we've all sinned too. So when I approach someone that's doing something wrong, right? I approach them and I say, hey, listen, I've made this mistake as well. I have been there too. Thank God someone called me out on it, right? And we have to approach this with humility. Here's the thing with humility. Humility is your key to going to heaven. Well, I thought it was repentance, baptism, the Holy Spirit. Yes, it is that, but all that follows humility. We will never repent unless we humble ourselves in front of God and say, you're right, I'm wrong. It takes humility, that is the key to salvation. And the key to a healthy church body is our humility towards each other. It's being humble with each other, gracious with each other. So if you weren't here at the beginning of 2 Thessalonians, one of the problems was people were writing letters to the church saying that they were Paul, but it wasn't Paul. So Paul ends this letter and he's like, hey, it's me. You know, I wrote this with my own hand, has my, my mark of approval. I don't know what that was of a certain style or he drew a little smiley face. I don't know what he did on the letters to let everyone know that it's Paul. But what it is, 
It is, a, it is another subtle reminder from Paul that this book, his contributions and the other author's contributions, this is where the Christian receives their information on God. This is where we receive our theology. And Paul says in the book of Galatians, another one of his letters, right, that any other letter or any other gospel besides this right here, Paul actually says in the Bible, it's a doctrine of demons. It's dangerous, it's false, it's not of God, right? So it's another one of those subtle reminders, our beliefs on God come from this book. And then he ends in a very typical Paul way, he says grace and peace, right? He says peace first and then he prays for grace. So Paul gets a lot done in a very, very short letter. He is stern, he is blunt, but he does all this because he loves the church. He loves these people. And he prays God's grace over them. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. You didn't earn it. But Paul says, I pray God's grace over you. And then he says, I pray peace over you. The only way to receive peace is to have a relationship with the Prince of Peace. That's it. So God, he, he prays God's favor and God's peace on you, right? And Jesus is the conduit by which we receive those two things. Okay. So here's the thing. The world is tough and it's, I'm not sure if it's gonna get any easier. The only way to endure the hardships of this life, the challenges of our culture, our society, is you and I must love God above everything. Above your family, above your relationships, above your spouse, even above your children. Well, Corey, how can I love my children if something is above them? The only way you can properly love your children and your spouse is if God is above them. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, right? And everything else is taken care of for you. The only way to be the spouse that you're supposed to be is to make sure that God is more important than your spouse. The only way to be the parent that you need to be is to make sure that God is more important than even your children because it is through that relationship with God that we are the people that we need to be. The only way we're going to endure is if God is our highest priority. So in saying that, we must remember that our faith, Christianity is an active religion. It is an active faith. We must be engaged, present, active, loving, right? That's who God is. And we are to build this relationship with him. How do we do it? I say it every week, but I feel like I need to say it every week. We pray read the word of God, listen to God, and obey God. That's it. It's that simple. Pray, read, listen, obey. This is how we engage and interact with God, okay? Endurance, Christ's endurance. We need Christ's endurance to be responsible, and we are called to be responsible. Listen, this is very, very, very important. Christians are called to a higher standard of living, not because God loves you more than the Muslims or the atheists or the agnostics or the Hindus or anyone else, not because God loves you more. We are called to a higher standard because you have access and knowledge to what is right and wrong and how you are to live. You are held to a higher standard because to much is given, much is required. You have been given the truth. So you are held to a higher standard. You are called to live at a higher standard, not just because you and I have knowledge of righteousness, 
but because we are called to communicate the truth of Jesus to the unbelieving world around us. Jesus calls us the light, the light. That is a big responsibility, and we have to live at a higher standard. This means, this translates over, not just to our jobs, but our jobs as Christians, that if we are physically and mentally able, we are to be working hard, we are to be responsible, we are to not be a burden to society or the church, but we are to be the generous ones. That's what we are called to be, right? We are called to a higher standard, not to be consumers, but to be contributors. That's what we are called to be. That's what you and I are called to be as Christians. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about everything, everything in our lives, right? That we are called to be responsible. And we have to be proactive. What this means is, is we cannot sit around and wait for the turbulence of life to hit us. We are to be about our Father's business. So this isn't just about work, this is about spiritual work. What is our spiritual work? Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20, right? The Great Commission, that we are to be about the Father's business of making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them everything that we know about Jesus Christ. This is impossible to do if we are idle. It is impossible to be a disciple maker, to baptize and to teach, if we are lazy, if we are selfish, or if we are just kind of flowing with the waves of life and whatever hits us, hits us, there is no substance, no, no foundation, right? And we wonder why life is always chaotic. Because we are just reacting. We're not being proactive. So we have to make it a point. Listen, listen. You are not designed to be, to be accidental. You are too precious to God. God thinks too much of you and has designed you too perfectly to just be a reactionary person. That's why the Bible says he's a strong tower, that if we connect ourselves to that strong tower, that when the waves of life and the turbulence of life hit, we're, hold, we're holding on to something that is stable. We have clear objectives on how to live, that we're called to be a good witness, you are too precious to God to live a haphazard life, to live a life that just reacts. We must be proactive, right? That's how we are called to live. So, so, so let me ask you, we have, you just gotta be honest. How is your endurance right now? Man, you want me to be honest? It's tough, it's tough. I struggle with the month of December every year, right? I, I've been seeing a counselor for three years and it started because I struggle with seasonal depression in the month of December. It is hard for me. It's tough, man. It is really, really hard. And so this time of year, listen, I'm not even talking about you right now. I'm just talking about me. I, I, let me self-deprecate for a second. When I ask myself, I'm supposed to be demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Patience long-suffering, joy, and I'm like, man, I'm not doing it right now. Let me, let me ask you something, though. How is your endurance? Are you producing the fruit of the Spirit? And have you ever thought about this? Because I think about it with myself a lot. I tend to struggle the most when my proximity to Jesus is not as close as it should be. I don't know if anyone else is there. You ever think about that? 
why am I so frustrated I haven't prayed? Why am I so short-tempered right now? Because I haven't been reading my Bible as much as I should. Because I haven't slowed down, I haven't been still and just spent some good time with God. That's the problem with December. We get so riled up and we're so running all over the place. That, that, you know, this time of year that's supposed to be, a, be about Jesus, it's more about Amazon, isn't it? Right? Stressed out like crazy. Oh, we may not be able to get all that crap that we got last year because of boats on the edge of the sea, right? We'll live. You'll be okay, right? I got too much crap anyways. We'll be okay. The problem is our proximity to Jesus. The problem with me is my proximity to Jesus. I'll make it about me. Here's another one. Listen, are we loving people in a biblical way? Are we loving people in a biblical way? Do you know giving people what they want all the time is not always a good way to love them? If someone has diabetes, buying them, you know, a dozen donuts from Donut Country, that's probably not the best thing for them. Well, I love them, Corey, I just want them to eat. Buy them some celery, <laughs> right? That's another thing we need to talk about at this church. I don't know what the deal is in December if you guys just have a plot to get me like morbidly obese, but the table in our conference room is just piled of sugary stuff, right? And I appreciate you guys doing that, but I have no self-control. That's another fruit of the spirit. <laughs> and in December, I lack that too, right? It's eggnog and donut country for a month. Are we loving people in a way that pulls them up and doesn't enable bad behavior? As a parent, you understand what I'm saying. It's hard to get onto your kids, but sometimes it's the best thing we can do for them. Because we don't want them to grow up entitled. We don't want them to grow up apathetic, lazy, right? Do we love people in a way that pulls them up, not keeps them down? Are we loving people correctly? The last thing is this. <sighs> Are you and I proactive in our faith? Are we reaching out to the Lord? Are we calling out for him? Are we reading the word of God? Are we holding on to that strong tower? Because when the things of life come, right? That's why Jesus said in this life, there's gonna be suffering. I've told you, right? So if we're not tethered to him, if our arms are not wrapped around him, holding on with everything we got, if we're not proactive, man, I'm telling you, the winds of this life will, will knock, they'll knock you out. We cannot endure it. We cannot do it. So we have to be proactive. There are people in this room that I have seen go through horrific things. I'm talking horrific things, losing children, right? Losing a spouse, awful things, abuse. But because of their, their closeness with Christ, even the worst turbulent things that you can imagine, they still have their faith. They still push forward because they've been proactive. They have taken the initiative to run after God, right? And when those things come, they're okay. It hurts, it's tough, but they make it, right? They make it because they're proactive. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Hey, listen, if you are in this place and um, maybe you're not a believer or maybe you're a new believer, 
Up here at my right, your left, Pastor Isaac is up here. Helps with our discipleship processes. If you wanna come up here and talk to Pastor Isaac, he'd love to talk with you. He's not afraid of questions. He likes conversations like that. Come up here and talk to him. Also, there are men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything in your life, listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I bet I'm not the only one in this room that struggles this time of year. I bet I'm not the only one. If you want someone to just lay a hand on your shoulder and pray for God to give you strength, to give you endurance, to give you peace and patience and long-suffering and self-control, why don't you let someone pray with you? It's okay. The last thing is, wherever you see a lamp on a table in this room, we have communion. The body and blood of Jesus Christ. Now listen, everyone is welcome to take that as long as you ask God to forgive you of your sins before you do it. But I want you to just be reminded today that God loves you. God gave his only begotten son that if we would just believe in him, we don't perish, right? But we have everlasting life. What that means is God not only loves you, he, he knew you before you were knit together in your mother's womb, the Bible says, that he has a purpose for you, he has direction for you. You mean a lot to him, your life is not accidental. It's not meant to be lived carelessly. It's not meant to be lived haphazardly or spontaneously. That's not how God has designed you. He's designed you with a purpose. And we can take that communion and we can be reminded that we are special, that we were designed for a reason, that we have a job to do, that Jesus even calls us the light of the world. It's a big deal. Father, Lord, I love you. God, I love this church. Lord, I love this church so much, God. These are my brothers and sisters. I love them. Father, I pray peace over all of them. God, anyone in this room that may struggle this time of year, I pray your grace and peace and your mercy over them. God, for anyone in this room who hasn't been proactive with their faith, maybe they haven't taken their lives as seriously as you would want them to, I pray, Lord, that you just gently convict them, God. Don't let us be idle. Don't let us be lazy in our work or in our faith. God, keep us strong, Lord. Protect us, Jesus. Thank you, God, for our time together, Lord. Keep your hand on everyone in this room until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you very much.